This episode of Industry Focus is supported by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, today at netsuite.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, July 11th, and we're breaking down Brookfield Infrastructure's acquisition of the Genesee and Wyoming Railroad, and we're diving into the biggest energy IPO of 2019 so far. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Molly Fool contributor Matt Delalo via Skype. How's it going, Matt? Going pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. We were just chatting before the show. You just moved into a new house. How has life uh, been treating you these couple of weeks? I know it's probably pretty stressful. I'm unpacking a lot of boxes. What, what What's life been like for you? Oh, yeah, it's been incredibly busy. Boxes everywhere. I think we moved boxes, you know, like two or three times just to get to another box that we want. So it's been stressful. I'm exhausted. But, you know, it's nice to be in a new place. Hey, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's the whole process. Once you get there and actually get the stuff physically there, it's all downhill. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how long it takes to get those last boxes unpacked. But uh, we've got a good show yeah. today. Um, first story I want to talk about is earlier this month, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners announced that it's going to participate in a transaction to take regional railroad operator Genesee and Wyoming private. They're partnering with GIC, that's Singapore's sovereign wealth fund, as well as some institutional investor partners of Brookfield Asset Management, uh, buying the railroad for $112 a share in cash, almost a 40% premium. The price was trading on March 8th, the day rumors started swirling that this deal might happen. Uh, When you saw the news of this deal drop, Matt, uh, what what was your first reaction to see Brookfield uh, acquiring this railroad? I wasn't too surprised. I've actually covered Genesee and Wyoming for several years for Fool.com. They were recommended by Stock Advisor, so I know them pretty well. And it's a good fit for them. Brookfield loves these, uh, uh, you know, backbone infrastructure business, and that's what Genesee and Wyoming does. They move freight basically from point A to point B, basically between the the bigger railroads. So they're kind of an intermediary. It fits in well with the the globalization that Brookfield's looking for because they're like huge in North America. They've got railroads in Australia and um, Europe. So it fits in very well with that. Uh, The the cash flows, it's not a typical Brookfield type transaction where it's all contractual cash flows, but um, it's very steady. It is economically sensitive. So it kind of gives them that upside and downside of the economy, but it's a good deal for them. It, It bolsters their transportation segment, which is something they've been looking at. So it's a, you know, another good investment by Brookfield. Yeah, you look at these short-line railroads, they kind of serve some of that role as the last-mile carrier, as we see more and more uh, kind of, you know, the, the, way, the way commerce is moving, there's more and more demand for those last-mile services that, that folks like Genesee and Wyoming uh, can help provide. When you look at kind of the price that Brookfield paid, do you think they got great value here? There have been some rumblings from some investors that maybe Genesee and Wyoming was undervalued its U.S. assets relative to, to maybe how, how folks had their impressions of their assets abroad. Do you, do you feel like Brookfield was able to get a, an attractive valuation for, for Genesee acquiring it today? Well, I don't think Brookfield would ever do a deal where they didn't get a no. good value. So I think that's kind of what drew them to them. Obviously, the near 40% premium suggests that they, they paid a lot more than you know was trading out of the public market. However, uh, They've, or Genesee and Wyoming has had some issues overseas. There's issues with the currencies and things like that. So that has been weighing on them. Weather has been an issue for them. The economy, the, the railroad has, um, you know, while the global economy has continued to grow, railroads kind of went through a speed bump about a year or two ago. So that kind of put pressure on them. So they were able to get this for, uh, you know, it's kind of like one of those 
a fair bit or a good business for a fair price. So, you know, it's not like a screaming bargain like they got in Brazil when they bought a pipeline, but it's a good deal. Right. And this also adds Brookfield presence. I think it's on almost all major continents now. They were previously in Australia. Obviously, they add Genesee and Wyoming's assets there in Australia, but now it moves them into North America as well as some assets in Europe. Uh, adding to that portfolio for Brookfield, is there any kind of synergies bringing this in with the rest of their rail assets uh, that they can kind of leverage this and get more out of it than, than maybe the assets as they sit today? There's some potential, especially in Australia, where Brookfield has kind of done well and Genesee and Wyoming struggled a bit. So there might be some synergies there. Maybe they'll end up combining those um, businesses. But North America is kind of a separate thing. And then the UK, Europe, there, there might even be some some synergies in the UK. They, Brookfield has a good ports business over there. They just sold their European port business. So that's kind of not the same. But yeah, there's some, but they're probably, uh, as they do in a lot of cases, they'll operate this business separately. And um, so it's not like they're going to make this big global railroad giant. I don't, I don't see that happening. Cool, cool. And then, uh, so, so this deal also fits into Brookfield's kind of continued capital recycling strategy, where they take some of their assets that they've held for a period of time. For example, their Chilean toll road business. That when they reach close to fair value, you know, Brookfield will realize those gains and then recycle those assets in, into new investments. Genesee and Wyoming is one of those. They've also been doing uh, some further investments. Another one of those was they acquired Vodafone's telecom business in New Zealand. Can, can you break down kind of? how that fits in uh, to, to Brookfield's investments and maybe how the, this capital recycling strategy is continuing to play out for the company. Yeah, so Brookfield, they're really smart about uh, how they go about funding their business. They'll, they'll look for uh, opportunities to kind of cash in on things that the market or other buyers value higher than Brookfield does. So they'll, they'll sell those for kind of, you know, a uh, above fair value and then they'll use that to buy things that they see you know it's kind of underpriced maybe it doesn't fit in with a bigger business and that's kind of what you see with this telecom business in New Zealand where it wasn't part of Vodafone's you know massive global strategy it was a it, it, but it's a good business for Brookfield because it fits into one of the four kind of components that they invest in, which is you know they have the energy businesses, the utility businesses, transportation, and then data infrastructure is kind of like their new platform that they've been building out. And this is data infrastructure. This business owns cell towers. They own fiber optic optic cables, but it's also a little bit different from just the infrastructure because it's got the consumer component because they also provide, you know, like cell phone services and broadband to customers over there in New Zealand. So it's a little bit of a, a blend business for them. It's an integrated business, but the, the, their whole, you know, focus is on data. They see data as being this, you know, the, this huge growth opportunity because we just continue to use more and more data, especially mobile data. And so they're building out uh, this platform to kind of capture different aspects of it. Cell towers is big. Uh, these uh, fiber optic cables, which which you got your broadband on, and that data center. So it, it fits into that. They they've been buying data centers all over the world, and now they've got this. And you know, so it they see this as a huge growth opportunity because not only do they get the growth from the acquisitions, but the organic growth. You know, they can raise prices. They can build out new cell towers, build out new data centers. So it kind of gives that dual growth driver that they're looking to kind of juice their returns with. Right. You know, you, you look at the the way the cell towers and data centers fit, uh, you know, to, to transmit data and to, you know, continue this 
progression that, that we've been on, you, you, you have to have this infrastructure to just communicate and allow, allow data to transmit. It's the same thing when you look at Geneseo, Wyoming, right? For, for our continued move into e-commerce and, and buying things remotely, you need more and more logistics. And so, uh, Brookfield Infrastructure can kind of get in the middle of that, extract a toll, and, and, and continue to drive cash flows. And that's the whole idea behind this continued capital recycling strategy, is to continue increasing cash flows and distributions over time. As you see, you know those opportunities as they continue recycling cash flows. What opportunities do you see for for Brookfield to continue increasing its distribution going forward and just continue returning capital to investors as it continues its capital recycling program? Yeah, the reason they're they're selling these assets is that they see a lot of opportunities in infrastructure. There's a huge gap between what governments can fund and what um, they need to fund. So one of the ways that they, they can do this, and the same thing with private businesses, is to sell assets. So Brookfield will sell something that like a private equity fund or pension fund would really want um, for a premium price. And then they'll use that to, to kind of fill in these gaps where it's a business that really fits in well with their infrastructure portfolio. And um, some of the places that they're looking at, they're looking for this or where they can not only buy something that's producing cash flows to fund the dividend, but that can grow organically. So they're looking at water. They see water infrastructure as being a big opportunity for them. They only have done like, I think one $15 million deal for a water pipeline in Peru, but they would love to get into more water. Um, midstream, U.S. and North American midstream, which is pipelines, processing plants, that sort of stuff, they see, I think it was $150, $150 billion opportunity over the next several years as MLPs consolidate and they need capital. Um, you know, they own some of these assets, but they see that as another growth thing. And then in different countries like South America, mentioned they sold assets in Chile. They would love to buy more assets in Chile and India is another place that they see grow. So it's a really, it's a cool business to own because they, they're into so many different things and you get to see the, it's kind of the, like the backbone infrastructure growth of these these countries. And it just, it, they're very cash flow driven so they can pay these great distributions that they'll continue to grow. Yeah, I think, I think Brookfield Infrastructure provides the services that allow the things that we really think that, that, that the world is heading towards, whether it's continued e-commerce, whether it's more and more data usage, they provide the infrastructure that allows that to happen. And you know, if you're an investor and can profit a little bit from that from that continued uh, progression, uh, definitely an interesting business to be involved in. You mentioned MLPs on the back half of the show. We're going to talk about the biggest energy IPO of the year so far, which happens to be an MLP as well. But first. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is their hodgepodge of business systems. They have one system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. It's just a big, inefficient mess, taking up too much time and too many resources. And that hurts the bottom line. That's where NetSuite by Oracle comes in, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com fool. That's netsuite.com fool to download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. Okay, Matt. So on the back half of the show, I want to talk about this IPO of Rattler Midstream. So far, is the biggest IPO of 2019. Began trading on Thursday, May 23rd, under the ticker symbol RTLR. 
uh, is Rattler Midstream. If he, you can tell from the name a little bit, they're affiliated with Diamondback Energy, which is a, a, a ENP company pr- primarily based in the Permian. This 10,000 foot view. Uh, what it, what does Rattler Midstream provide uh, to investors, and, and what opportunities does it give with this newly public company? What are you buying? Yeah, so a lot of these ENPs, especially in the Permian Basin, they've had to build out a lot of the infrastructure near the wells, and so these are called gathering uh, and processing assets. There, it's, it's pipes that uh, hook to the well, and they they gather the oil directly from the well and bring it to major pipelines, and so. Diamondback have been investing in these pipelines so that they're not held back by you know an M- another MLP or midstream company. They're, it's kind of like this just-in-time inventory delivery of their their infrastructure. So they've been building, you know, investing money to build this out, and so Rattler is the arm that they've used to do that. And they're now trying to cash in on these assets. A lot of energy companies have done that in recent years. They'll either sell them to private equity funds or they'll do IPOs. Um, but it's been really hard to do IPOs for midstream. Uh, recently, interest rates are rising, and that had kind of dampened their um, investor enthusiasm in this. And then MLPs have had a pretty poor track record recently. But you know, this is the first one out of the gate. It's the biggest energy IPO of the year. There might be more to follow. So it's an interesting company. Yeah, and so Rattler uh, Rattler Midstreams cash flows are backed by long-term contracts with Diamondback Energy. Uh, that, that's their key relationship, as you mentioned. Uh, th- th- these assets were developed by Diamondback in-house and then have just been spun off with the IPO. When you look at the relationship that Rattler has with Diamondback, how attractive does that long-term relationship with those assets that Diamondback owns and the production that they're tied to, how attractive does that look at as an investment from the MLP point of view in, in Rattler Midstream? You know, it's, it's kind of like a blessing in one sense, but it also has its own drawbacks. So Diamondback's one of the fastest growing uh, EMPs in the Permian Basin. So that supports all this fast-paced growth for Rattler. So you kind of have this built-in growth engine. They're, they're going to support Diamondback. So as Diamondback grows new wells, Rattler's going to be building these gathering pipelines. That's just going to kind of fuel a lot of growth. You know, so that's that's really exciting, especially since it's a Permian Basin pure play. However, if something were to happen with Diamondback, you know, they they run into trouble, that would hamper Rattler. So it, there's a there's the the potential for them be, because they're just focused on one company and one basin. That if um, you know pipeline constraints rose back in the Permian or there was they couldn't drill wells, then it would slow down this growth process. So. You know, it's a riskier play because of that. You know, investors would almost do better off in one sense if they if they were not, um, you know, if they were less risk averse investors, they would be better off going for something that was more diversified. Sure. Yeah, I saw some stats that the Rattlers' earnings tripled in 2018 due to Diamondbacks' continued increasing volumes, and Diamondback expects to increase volumes another 29 or 30 percent in 2019. Again, you know, you see earnings tripling. Do you think that that is sustainable going forward? Do you think that's something where they saw this IPO going for, you know, coming coming down the line and wanted to boost earnings for that, or do you think this is a sustainable track, you know, trajectory given Diamondback's continued increase increasing production in the Permian? We we'll probably won't triple as quickly yeah. in the near term because that was off a low space. However, Diamondback has a lot of growth coming. Down the pipeline to use a pun, uh, they not only they're supporting Diamondback Energy, which is growing. You know, they're they're one of the fastest growing EMPs in the Permian Basin, 
but in addition to that, they they were given stakes in these two long-haul pipelines that are coming online. The Gray Oak Pipeline, which is being developed by Phillips 66 Partners, it's a big oil pipeline that's going to move crude oil from the Permian to uh, the Gulf Coast, where it can hit refineries and then export facilities. And then it owns a 10% stake in the Epic Pipeline, which is another big pipeline that's going to kind of do the same thing. So when these come online later this year, early next year, there's going to be the huge burst of cash flow from them. And this is stable cash flow because they're backed by long-term contracts that have minimum volume commits, which means they pay for the space whether they use it or not. And that's a little bit different from a gathering and processing where if Diamondback were to stop drilling, the natural production of wells would kind of decline. So Diamondback's growth would be impacted, but this is more stable. And then these pipelines can be expanded. So it gives them a little bit more diversification than just the gathering or processing business. And it should grow very quickly for several years. It's just so much oil that's going to be flowing out of the Permian Basin, especially going towards the Gulf Coast. So it's 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 really a more of a growth stock than a traditional MLP because they're just going to be growing earnings really, really fast. And there's a couple of other companies that are kind of doing this. There's this Altus Midstream, which Apache basically did the same thing. They didn't do an IPO of it, but they they combined it with a, a blank check company, and it, it gave them the funds to do all these projects. And it does the same thing. They gather and process oil and gas, and then they own all these stakes in long haul pipelines. So, but they're going to grow their earnings by, uh, you know, it's like a hundred percent over the next couple of years. So again, just super, super fast paced growth, which is something you don't traditionally see in the pipeline sector. Sure. I mean, just so much demand coming out of, out of the Permian, uh, you know, just growth has been exploding there. One other interesting aspect I, I saw looking at Rattler midstream is that they're structured as an MLP. Uh, but they they still plan to pay corporate taxes rather than rather than passing those on uh, through to investors. I think I think you looked at this a, a little bit, Matt. Do you, do you know what was behind this decision uh, for Rattler Midstream, and whether that's something we'll see more of out, out of these MLPs going forward? Yeah, but the, the, there's been this kind of, I guess pushback by regular investors like myself and you know retail type um, investors because. The, the K-1s that MLPs give you, they, they delay your taxes and they complicate things. So it's much more simple to have a dividend versus a, an MLP distribution uh, for tax purposes to get a 1099. It just simplifies things you can own in an IRA. So that broadens the appeal, the investor base. It, it, they can be owned by retirees. They can be owned by a lot of more institutions. They can be put into um, more exchange-traded funds and indexes, so it just broadens the investor base and allows them to to um, their share prices should appreciate more. They could be able to raise capital if they wanted to sell stock or units to fund different growth projects. It, it just gives them more flexibility, and that's why we've seen just so many MLPs either convert to corporations or they bought out their general partners and they. They become corporations, and it's just this big trend in the sector because investors just they. The, they didn't like the MLP model. It just didn't work very well for them. There was so much dilution. They were constantly issuing new units and the tax issues. And that this just held down valuation. So it's just an attempt to broaden the investor base and, and try to get the valuation of these assets more in line with what, what like a private equity company would pay for them. Sure. Yeah. And, and to your point, you had mentioned earlier that you know we've seen at least in recent years MLPs not have quite as much uh, enthusiasm. Uh, from the investor base, this is our. But when we look at Rattler Midstream, this is the our first 
uh, IPO of a, of a midstream company in 2018. We didn't have anything, any in 2017. This is a positive sign for the industry to see companies start to go public again. Um, and, and you know, it seems to be uh, some enthusiasm behind Rattler, as you mentioned, with, with the opportunities for growth going forward. It, does this give you some optimism for, I guess, renewed enthusiasm for the MLP space going forward? Not yet, just because there's there's still so many issues that they have to work on and work towards it. There's some conversions that need to happen, and they just have to prove themselves. They they really disappointed income seeking investors by you know. They they grew and grew and grew and then they they had these bloated balance sheets and and couldn't pay for uh, their distribution so they have to get over that hump and it'll take some time to win back investor confidence and um, I'm not sure how long it'll be we're, we're starting to see some of that this year uh, valuations have come up a bit but they just have to prove themselves and prove that this model is sustainable before investors will you know start buying MLPs again sure and then uh, last thing on, on Rattler. Um, you know, talking about you know these companies proving themselves and proving they can maintain over time. What are you going to be watching with this company? Obviously, a new IPO just been public uh, since late May. What are you going to be watching with this company uh, to to really decide uh, that it's proven itself and it might be worth uh, investment dollars going forward? What what should investors be paying attention to with Rattler and uh, Midstream going forward? Just their success in completing projects and whether or not they can fund them internally. That that's been one of the big things investors want to see. MLPs used to just they would issue debt and issue new units, you know, kind of like uh, whenever they wanted to. And the markets just like hold on. And so now they have to do it internally. So we need to see them be able to to do that and to show how the cash flows that they're they're throwing off is going to support the growth. And if they can't do that, then you're going to get you know more dilution. It's going to be a problem. It could hold them back. So I want to see a, a good, a solid operating plan from them that they can fund this all this growth that they have coming you know in the future. Awesome. And then going away, I'm kind of gonna gonna borrow Matt Greer's question that he likes to do on, on market foolery. You're on a desert island for five years. You only pick one company to own between these two that we talked about today: Brookfield Infrastructure Partners or Rattler Midstream. Which would you choose, and why? It's a no-brainer for me, Brookfield Infrastructure. I've owned that for years, and they've been so successful in uh, creating value for investors. They've just outperformed the market year in and year out. Basically, they have a, a solid business plan. They, they tweak it as needed, as we mentioned you know, the, with the capital recycling. They're not issuing units and, and diluting investors anymore. They're, they've kind of matured to that point where they can sell assets to fund this growth. So, and they become less risky. They're, I, I really think they're just going to continue to be a solid performer. Rattler is one of those you know high growth, high risk stocks. So, it's interesting to watch, but I wouldn't touch it. Yeah, I think I tend to agree with you there too, Matt. You, you talked about Brookfield infrastructure. You get some of that exposure to to pipelines as well, with significantly more uh, diversification. Not not to say anything against Rattler Midstream. I just want to see how this company operates as an independent company for a while going forward. Brookfield just has such a strong track record; it's hard to go against them um, at any time. But Matt, always love having you on the show. I'm sure we'll have more to discuss uh, sometime soon. Looking forward to it. Me too. Thanks. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Matt DeLalo, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!